Watch Podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch Podcast, we will be discussing an article from the July issue of the Beef Watch newsletter titled Managing Cows Through Dry Conditions. To discuss this topic, I'm joined today by the author, Dr. Carla Wilkie, who's a CalCast System Specialist based at the Panhandle Research and Extension Center. Thanks for joining me today, Dr. Wilkie. Thanks for having me. Dr. Wilkie, as we record this podcast, we're sitting here in early July, and as we look at the precip that we received in the months of April, May, and June for much of the state, there's parts of the state that had really good precip, others where they've been much below the long-term average. That below average precip and then the really warm, dry conditions we've had here as we finished out June and into early July have really taken their toll on pasture production. This is resulting in a scenario where cow-calf producers are going to need to probably start thinking about what are some alternatives in terms of options they have available to them in meeting the nutrition needs of these cows. Give some perspective on what producers might be thinking through and what are some options available to them. Well, as you mentioned, you know, we, we had some grass coming on and then, man, it got hot and dry and that grass didn't take off and do a lot of growth like it normally does when temperatures warm up. We kind of went from really cold and some extra freezing in April to really hot in June. And so we are short on production and we're short on quality. And so a lot of people will ask the question, you know, well, should I just go ahead and start feeding protein supplement like I do in the wintertime? And the problem with that is that when we provide a protein supplement, it provides nitrogen for the bacteria in the rumen. And so that will help the cows digest that lower quality forage better. And it will probably help the cows maintain body condition a little better. But it's actually going to allow them to move the feed through the rumen faster and therefore increase their intake. And that's kind of the opposite of what we're trying to do when we're trying to stretch pasture. So just feeding some protein cubes or some protein lick tubs or something like that out on pasture doesn't really stretch pasture. And that's going to kind of exasperate the situation that we're in where we're short on grass. So as we think about what are some options if we, if we're looking at we're short on grass, what are some steps we need to take in terms of thinking about how do we move forward with this, still meet the cow's nutrient requirements, but also be mindful of what's happening out there to the pasture? So, you know, I think um, some checks on the, the pasture throughout the pasture are important to get an idea of how much forage utilization is going on. One of the things that we've done some research on at the University of Nebraska is mixing something like wet distillers grains, which is um, very palatable and a lot of energy and a lot of protein to it with some poor quality forages like really poor quality grass hay or some forage residues or something and trying to leave the cows out on the pasture and feed some of that to stretch the pasture. And the research that was done on that showed that when we just use poorer quality hay, we don't get a one-to-one replacement on that. For every pound of dry matter of that mixture, you get only 2,200 of a pound um, of grass on a dry matter basis actually replaced. And so the more really bulky roughage that we can put in that, then the closer we get to a one-to-one ratio on that. But 
just because we're feeding some other feed out there on the pasture doesn't mean those cows aren't going to go ahead and go out there and do a little grazing. And so that's why we can stretch the pasture a little ways doing something like that. But we need to be extremely careful that we don't overgraze that pasture anyway. Well, Dr. Wilkie, you've done a fair amount of research both on early weaned calves and feeding cow-calf pairs in a confinement or dry lot scenario. How might that have application in this circumstance? So if they have a place that they can put the cows or the pears, there's several options there. A lot of times when we think about feeding cattle in confinement, our first thought process there is, is putting them in an actual feedlot. And really, that's certainly one option, but we can confine them to pivot corners or fallow ground or some feed ground that we would normally not use until um, we're calving or something in the spring. And so there's a lot of places that we can uh, do a makeshift confinement and get them off of those pastures without actually putting them in a feedlot. And we can string a a hot fence down one side of it and drive a feed truck down through there and shoot feed just underneath the hot fence to on the ground so that they're not laying in the feed but they are you know they have a line of feed there where they can eat that feed and maybe not make a mess of it and not waste as much of it if we do that though we need to make sure we have plenty of bunk space or feeding space for both the cow and the calf and if we limit feed that diet so meaning we don't feed them all the dry matter that they want to eat but we meet their nutrient requirements and so we limit how much we give them we need to make sure we have two feet to bunk space per cow and probably another foot for the calves and the calves will be eating some of that feed at this point so that is certainly an option. Again, the wet distiller's grains mixed with some poor quality roughages makes a pretty good diet option for that. There are, um, you mentioned early weaning, and we can certainly do that. And there are some um, good diets that we can put together for a calf to do that. Another option is to leave the cow on the calf, but when we start using these really uh, poor quality roughages to try to kind of cheapen up the cow diet and keep her kind of full and while we're limiting her, that's not the best type of feed to run through a very young calf with a small rumen that we're trying to develop and trying to build capacity in. That tends to slow their intake too much. So, you know, if a producer had access to some annual forages that they didn't have enough for the pears, but they could develop a creep gate and the calves could go out and do some grazing or even the pasture that they're leaving. You know, if the calves had an opportunity to do some creep grazing in the pasture and then come back to the cows, those are options. Creep feeds, commercial creep feeds uh, are an option, but they get awfully expensive. And if we're not careful, they can put more fat than actual structure and muscle growth on a calf. And so we need to be careful how we handle those types of options. Dr. Wilkie, what about some of these later spring calving pairs where maybe we're going to be putting the bull out here in the next few weeks, late July, early August? What are some things we need to be aware of there in terms of the plane of nutrition those cows are on and how that may impact reproduction? That's a, a very good point and a very sticky situation in this particular year because we just had that grass just shut down in the heat and lack of moisture. 
And, you know, even when we've had years that we thought were fairly decent years, we, we've had some issues with those May calving herds, particularly the young cows that are three years old trying to get rebred. We've had some issues with them not having enough nutrition out there come late July, August when they're turning the bulls in. And so supplementing those cows has had a positive effect on on conception. And the reason that is, is because cows don't breed the best on a declining plane of nutrition. And they can be a little bit thin, but as long as they're on an increasing plane of nutrition, have a much better conception rate. And of course, that three-year-old cow, we just as soon not see her thin to begin with, and we sure don't want her going downhill at this point. We've invested a lot of money in developing her as a heifer, and it's, it's very... Um, critical to get her over the hump of getting bred with that second calf. And so some good supplementation strategies would be important for those May calving cows, particularly the very young cow. It's not a bad idea for some of the older cows as well. Sometimes that helps them stay in the herd just a little bit longer if they're on the older end of that. So those are things to watch while you're also evaluating grass out there for how much is out there is looking at, you know, what's what's the quality of this and are we ahead of schedule on this so that here it is end of July, August, and the quality of the grass is actually what we might see into September or something, you know, and so where does that put us in providing the nutrients that this cow needs in her production cycle back in July with the product that's ahead of schedule. So those are some really important considerations that we want to head off before there's an issue. Dr. Wilkie, as we start to think about maybe needing to go out and source some feeds to bring in to complement what we have or to replace the lack of production, what are some things we should think through with that? So um, I think that's a good question. What are we going to, what are we going to do if we have to go get feed? You know, with the whole um, COVID thing for a little while there, we had the distillers plants or the ethanol plants, we call them distillers plants, but the ethanol plants shut down, resulting in a shortage of the byproduct distillers that's very important for us in the beef production side. Those plants are, I think, almost all up to 100% or at least 80% capacity. And Summer is not usually a time where the feedlots are using a large supply of that. And right now, because of the bottlenecks in those cattle, typical feedlot cattle going to the packing plant because of COVID shutting down packing plants, there's not a lot of distillers being used in the feedlots. So now might be a good time for some producers who know they're going to be short of grass from here on out through the growing season to go ahead and get some of that laid in pack over the top of it with some straw or some hay or something. You can put it in ag bags, but honestly, you can make a bunker out of, um, you know, square bales and push that in there, put some stuff, hay over the top of it, pack it in there and keep pretty good. So laying in some supplies of something like that, getting some poor quality hay bought. I'm afraid high quality hay is going to be kind of expensive, so you might want to I mean, obviously alfalfa hay is a nice protein source, but it may not be very cheap this year if a lot of the Great Plains is in a drought situation. So going ahead and thinking ahead of what you might be able to get the cheapest. Are there going to be byproducts coming in this fall that might be available? We're out here in western Nebraska. Beet pulp is one of those. It's not available to everybody, but, you know, sweet brand might be available to somebody 
east of here quite a ways, whatever. So starting to think through some of those things that may be very nutrient dense, but more um, cost effective type supplements that they could go ahead and lay in. I don't know what how many people might have the opportunity to put in annual forages behind irrigated wheat, but this year wheat's going to come off pretty early and you and I've done some research where we figured out that we could plant some annual forages in behind irrigated wheat and water it up, but the earlier we did that, the the better off we were with getting a decent forage crop to use either for grazing or, or for hay. And so this might be a year that something like that would be an opportunity as well. Dr. Wilkie, any other things you think producers may want to think through and evaluate as we wrap this up? You know, I hope every producer has a drought plan. I hope they know these are the cows or these are the yearlings that are going to town if we are not getting rain or we're short of grass by X date. And when you reach those, you know, I hope everybody gets the, has a list of those cows that they know they're going to call first and or yearlings that are going to go early, whatever. And when they get down to that core herd that they don't really, really want to get rid of, I would really encourage them to um, visit with extension personnel, get some diet options put together, and then really evaluate whether feeding those cows makes more sense than culling those cows. Because um, we can put a lot of money into a cow herd in the form of feed when we get in these situations. And we need to make sure that on the tail end of that, when we come out of that, that that it's going to pay us to maintain those cows rather than just sell those cows. So sitting down with the objective pencil, I think, is going to be critically important too. Thanks again for joining me today, Dr. Wilkie. Thank you for having me. For more information on the article that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, I'd encourage you to visit the beef.unl.edu website. At the website, you will be able to find this article, as well as a number of resources related to this topic.